Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer, and we're talking about chapter 10, which he titled Most High Man. Now, when we closed last week, we brought up that he quotes Acts 26, 18, which is one we mention here on Critical Issues Commentary quite often, especially in the context of evangelism and, and spiritual warfare properly defined. So now we're going to look at how Dutch Sheets uses this. So he says, and we're on page 181 here, humanity now needs a new knowledge from God. Paul said in Acts 26, 18, that he was called, quote, to open their eyes. And he's got an unquote here. And then adds his own note, enlightenment, unveiling, Revelation, repentance, and then he goes back to quoting Acts 26, 18, so that they may turn epistrapho from darkness to light. All right. He is adding an awful lot to this verse. Let's stop and discuss that. In Acts 26, 18, is Paul calling for a special enlightenment unveiling revelation Yes, repentance, but he's added a lot to this verse. How would you respond to that? Well, let's look at it again at the context. Okay. And what we have is Paul, when he's called before Agrippa, as he was appealing his way to Rome, continuing yes. being accused, he ends up in Rome, but he hadn't, he was still not there. He's before Agrippa. And he right. tell, gives him a chance to tell his testimony about his own conversion. Okay. So before that, he's going through his conversion and uh, how how the Lord had converted Saul of Tarsus, who is now Paul, and he quotes the Lord himself. Let me just read that, verse 16. Okay. Well, I'll start with verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? This is Paul's testimony. And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet for this purpose— I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also the things to which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes, here's verse 18, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those have been sanctified by faith in me. Verse 19, so King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept on declaring both to those in Damascus first, and also Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Then he explained why he was arrested, ended up before Agrippa. Okay. All right. So what's it about? Well, first thing that should go off in our mind is this is referring back to the beginning of Acts, where the gospel was to go out to Jerusalem, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Right. So 
Now, Paul is included, although he's not converted to later. Yes. You know, the, the Great Commission was given to the disciples. Right. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Paul's converted in Acts chapter 9. Yep. He's part of this. Right. And he's added. He's part of this. Jesus appeared to him and said he which he would appear to him, which he did again multiple yes. times. Mm -hmm. So he received the gospel directly from the Lord Jesus. And he's commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Right. He's, which he's he was actually apostle. doing right there. Right. He's a valid apostle. Yes. He defends that in 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. okay. So this material that's cited in verse 18 came directly from Jesus. Right. He's citing Jesus, what he told Paul. Okay. At one of these appearances. And so rescuing you from the Jewish people, from the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn, there's that word epistrepo, from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God. What's that imply? Everyone is under the dominion of Satan till they're converted. Right. That they may receive forgiveness. That's a, fa a phasis, that's release. Release from sin. Okay. For, from sins and inheritance are a lot among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So lost sinners, even Gentiles, alienated, strangers to the covenant of promise, without God, without hope in, in utter darkness. Now, this includes Jews who are also lost until they're converted. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the world, that would be turning and receiving release from sins, which was announced in Luke 4.18, the synagogue in Nazareth, where Jesus cited Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, part of, part of it. And then they would receive an inheritance. So lost sinners, headed for hell, nothing going for them, full of darkness, under the dominion of Satan, are now given a lot, a place, an inheritance, and part of the people of God. Yes. And so as Paul was put into the church as an apostle, then he says, after citing what Jesus told him, reciting Jesus, verse 19, so King Agrippa did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. So what did he do? Did he go tell people to get a revelation of what particular curse was on what particular sinner so that they could break it and get rid of the stronghold so that that particular sinner might be able to get free from it and then understand the gospel? Not what Paul said at all. He didn't say that? Nope. Then this section doesn't support Dutch Sheets' claim. It doesn't. Not even close. Here's what it does say. Here's what he did. The same thing he was talking about in 2 Corinthians. Okay. Kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. Yes. Now, what Mr. Sheets does is he goes into the details of the epistrepho and metadoeo, and this has this nuance, and this has this nuance, 
And it may be useful to, to do that for one reason or another, but in this context, it's just laid out as part and parcel of his gospel preaching. Right. And so just to show here, then Dutch Sheets says, and now remember, as he as Dutch Sheets quotes Acts 26, 18, he adds his own parenthetical comment here about enlightenment, unveiling revelation and repentance. He then goes on to say, information is of the mind. Biblical revelation, however, involves and affects the mind, but originates from the heart. Spiritual okay. power is only released through revelation knowledge. Okay. Involves and affects the mind, but originates from the heart. How can biblical revelation originate from the heart? Okay. This, these details that he interjects have nothing to do with what Jesus was telling Paul. Right. And it's certainly not biblical. And I've yes. talked about this many times. In the Old Testament, the heart is the whole inner person alienated from God. Okay. To distinguish between thoughts and the spirit or the heart or however the spiritual anatomy he's trying to interject here. Yes. Is nothing but a confusion. It and reminds me a little bit of Watchman Knee. Yeah, we've talked about this, and he cites another passage out of 1 Corinthians later in this chapter that people have abused for centuries, and I've covered that when I've taught through that. Okay. We don't have to know spiritual anatomy. Right. Okay? This is not how the Hebraic scriptures looked at humans. Yes. The heart, you can look that one up, the whole person would either turn away from God and be utterly deceived and in darkness or turn to God for forgiveness and cleansing and release. Right. To distinguish between the intellect and what was the part, what, what was he saying the heart was that was different? So biblical revelation, however, involves and affects the mind, but originates from the heart. Well, the distinguish between the heart and mind is a false distinction. Right. This is about the whole person. It's not anatomical. Yes. It's not some spiritual anat. And I can prove that. I sent you some verses this morning that I go to often to help people get over the many errors they hear. And I think we need to look at those because it's really that what you sent really gets right at the issue here. Right. It originates from the heart. Well, what we need is a new heart. Okay. Well, to exclude the mind or make it something different is makes no sense. Right. And it all works together. We have I mean, biblical revelation. We can only understand that with our mind. Yeah. And it okay. will change our heart, but it's not the other way around. Okay. When Paul preached to the Athenians, okay? Yes. He called them to repent as well. Right. Okay. There but are, he used uh, rational people, words. Okay, but the pe people in the signs and wonders and word of faith and certain charismatics will say, I, I first heard John Wimber say this a long time ago, that Paul failed at Athens, so that's a role model about what not to do. 
Oh, dear. Okay. Okay. But, and that's come up in our Sunday school. Someone was, must have heard that and was claiming it. And I said, no. The only thing that matters is what Luke had in mind. Luke has longer speeches in Luke Acts. And in Acts, these long speeches are showing how Paul preached to Jews, how he preached to, in synagogues, or how he preached in the Gentiles, or how he preached to pagans at Athens, and here how he preached before a king. Right. These are showing the basic content, not to show that he failed. He didn't fail at Athens. Okay. Well, didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, that a few people are converted means that God actually brought the gospel to the philosophers in Athens. Okay. It's not, it's designed for them to hear, but it's the same basic idea. It's about Christ and the gospel. So, dear ones, don't allow these teachers to confuse you. They're wrong. They're totally wrong. Paul isn't failing before Agrippa nor did he fail in Athens. Okay. He's explaining the person of Christ. So trying to separate your intellect from your heart might be some version of a certain Greek philosophies. Right. But it's not biblical. No. Okay. And we've mentioned in other episodes, God saves us as whole beings, as a whole right. person. Well, the, the point in Athens was, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, they mocked. Right. Well, the preaching of the resurrection of the dead is found in every single sermon in the book of Acts. Yes. And so if the resurrection from the dead is a concept, the bodily resurrection, the person of Christ is explained with concepts, the creator, the virgin birth, the sinless life, his prediction of his shed blood, his resurrection on the third day, his appearance to his disciples. All of that are things that we absorb as we think with our minds. Okay. And the proclamation is objective. You can't distinguish the mind from the heart. Right. Okay. Only rhetorically. Okay. In, there, in Romans 10, which we cited, the mouth, you confess, the heart, the mind, you believe. But it's the whole person. A person in totality is either under the dominion of Satan or converted, comes under forgiveness of sins, redemption, atonement, and is in the light of Christ. Yes. The whole person. Yep. Okay. Now, let me prove that from the Old Testament. All right. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. Okay. And, and uh, dear listeners, don't let these verses get too far from you. Jot them down and put a bookmark in your Bible. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, that's Yahweh. In the, I see all caps in NASB, it's Yahweh. Quote, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. Okay. Verse 6, For he will be like a bush in a desert, will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony, stony wastes in the wilderness, land of salt without inhabitant. Verse 7, 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Again, it's Yahweh. Verse 8, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by a stream. It will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Verse 9, Jeremiah 17, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is de desperately sick, who can understand it? Rhetorical question. What's the implied answer? No one. No one. But the answer is in verse 10. Okay. I, the Lord, again, Yahweh, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deed. The call is to be the one who trusts in the Lord. Yes. To come to him through his Messiah. Okay. Jesus Christ, the very creator, God the Son, second person of the Trinity who came into our world. That's the call. So the heart and the mind are all part of being a human who is either trusting in mankind and under the curse or trusting in God through Christ and blessed. Right. The whole person is lost. The whole person is redeemed. Yes. And that happens in a moment, and it's an act of God. Yes. And the redemption of the body is yet future. That comes that's taught also in First Corinthians, a couple different places, first and second Corinthians. But we already have forgiveness of sins and assurance of the resurrection from the dead. Yes. In Adam, all die, in Christ, all be made alive. So okay. this distinction between the mind and the heart is common. You saw that in certain theologies, neo-orthodoxy, and so on, trying to make distinctions that are I don't think are valid. Right. We need to look at it as the whole person. Yes. Furthermore, what we learn if, in... Jeremiah 17, this mission to get revelations about the details of what's going on in somebody else's heart, much less our own, is a fool's mission. Right. Because only God knows the heart. The, whole, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yeah. You're wasting your time. Yeah. You really believe that God is handing out details about the inner workings of somebody else's heart so that you know what they are and can speak decrees that will bind them and change them. Right. And we're going to see that later in this chapter. We didn't get that far. I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah. anyone that understood the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant or the predictions or what it says in Jeremiah 17 or what Jesus said about this, would never believe these things. Why do so many people believe these false books that are out there and have been around for decades? Right, and it makes it makes us need... Actually, I'm going to quote Dutch Sheets here because we'll okay. show where he's going with this. Dutch right. Sheets says, and this is page 182, knowledge or information alone, which is what humans have glorified, and where they have begun their quest for meaning ever since the fall does not produce salvation. Okay, we'll stop there.
to a certain degree, yes. Knowledge alone won't. We ha- there is you have to be born again. There has to be true saving faith behind that. But that doesn't mean we need special revelations outside of Scripture in order to produce the results that he's okay. looking for. Playing fast and loose with words. Yes. So he, he reminds us of the fall, which I'm glad he knows is real. So what sort of knowledge did the serpent tempt Eve with that she didn't already have? Right. Well, he went right for her human emotions and her feelings. And, you know, if you will be like God. God's, God's keeping, keeping something some good secret. from you. Yeah. There's yeah. some secret knowledge that you don't have. Which right. Is, secret is the same word as occult. Yes. So what God's forbidden, because it would be harmful, she wanted. Right. So did Adam. Mm-hmm. So here's what, on the top of page 182, Dutch, she says, spiritual power is only released through revelation knowledge. Right. So what does he mean by revelation knowledge as opposed to the knowledge that would be relational knowledge with Christ or the gospel, revealed knowledge from Scripture, what sort of revelation is he talking about? Well, and he equivocates on revelation all through this chapter. One time he means one thing, and another time he means another thing. But most often it is some sort of spiritualized revelation that it really is secret knowledge. Okay, well, he says this right here. The written written word, graphe, must become the living word, logos. Okay. Okay, now here we have, a, and I wouldn't know that he ever studied the some of the theologies that came out of Europe 150 years ago, or neo-Orthodoxy, or, or, or BART, or whatever. But the point would be, they made a distinction between the words that are written in the Bible that are referring to certain things and the word behind the word. Okay. There's some sort of a blind leap of faith that makes things meaningful beyond what the words are actually conveying. Yes. And that was popular for some time, but right now, gone way beyond that in a postmodern look at things but well and that's kind of what he is god speaking to us yes and and he goes on right after that to say this is why even we believers must not just read but also abide or meditate in the word praying as the psalmist open my eyes that i may behold the wonderful things from thy law okay so let me just talk about that because it comes up constantly Okay. And I uh, many times try to help people understand this. There's a difference between meaning and significance. All right. Okay, and that's where their confusion comes in. Yes. So the person who is unconverted may go to church if they go, or maybe never go to church, but they see the billboard or hear a preacher about Christ was raised from the dead. They have their version of Easter. Right. Whatever it is, and you know, eggs and bunnies and lilies or whatever. Yeah. Okay. 
And so if you explain the idea, they can understand the idea of a tomb, a body, it's empty, now there's angels. They, they, they may see it as a, a story that Christians like to believe, but they understand conceptually the difference between an empty tomb and one with a dead, stinking body in it. Right. Okay. The difference is at conversion, what we've heard from our youth, if that's if we grew up in a Christian setting, we realize now is cold, sober truth. Right. And what's changed is not the meaning of what Christians have claimed, but its significance in the weightiness it has in our lives. Yes. So saying the facts are simply graphe, written, revelation now is just something else is obscuring the reality. Okay. Because even occultists have revelation knowledge. They claim to have a revelation that Jesus, like the Mormons, look at their revelations. Yeah. There's all kinds of people with revelations. The revelation knowledge that some actress gets going to India and coming back, a Buddhist, or right. a Hindu, is, is the Christ spirit that's in all of us. Okay. But that doesn't comport even with the basic facts of the claims of the gospel. Right. So what changes isn't the facts or the meaning of the words of the Bible, but their weightiness and significance, because now we believe these things and live according to them. Right. What has changed is us. Right. So I would distinguish between meaning, which doesn't change. The author of the Bible determines the meaning, the mm -hmm. significance which should imply we believe these things and live accordingly. Yes. But revelation knowledge is simply putting it, for most people, into the world of the mystics or the some sort of an inner enlightenment that might come upon somebody like Agnes Sanford or somebody claims. Right. And it, he kind of hints at that where he goes on to say, and we've only got a couple of minutes, but kind of give you a preview for next time. He goes on to say then information can come immediately, but revelation is normally a process. Okay. What process happened when Saul of Tarsus was converted? He immediately went from darkness to light. Who from... are you, Lord? Yes. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. When he persecuted the church, he persecuted Christ. Yes. The head of the body. And when he got to, he was smitten and this, this Ananias in Acts 9 was afraid to pray for him because this guy wanted to kill us. Right. And the Lord spoke to Ananias too, appeared to him and said, you know, pray for this guy. He's one of ours. Yeah. He's already converted. Sitting around waiting for a revelation about what the Bible means, the author determines the meaning. It's not going to change. Right. Applications are... And implications are logically connected through our minds to the text. Yeah. Now, looking at, you know, especially those of us who grew up in the church, but maybe weren't saved until later. Yes, you can have all the head knowledge and not have saving faith. But the moment you're converted, all of a sudden, this head knowledge has meaning. 
the revelation yeah, you, happened because you were converted, not because revelation was some slow process all throughout your life. Yeah, we use the term head knowledge that way, so you'd have to know what somebody means by using the term. Okay. As a matter of fact, head knowledge is knowledge about facts that never changed. Right. What changed is the person believes what they knew was taught by Christians, and yes. maybe they had false assurance. Right. Or they tried to be a Christian, but really were never converted. Nothing changes but the fact that now the person is removed from the realm of darkness by a merciful act of the sovereign God who converts us. And what we once heard in the creeds and sermons, we now cherish as our hope in our life. Yes. So that's why I use the term significance. All right. We are almost out of time. Do you want to give us a one-minute wrap-up, and then we'll pick up here next week? We're, as we do this, and the reason we continue after so many, many episodes, is we're covering things that are still taught by dozens and dozens of people out there. Yes. And it's just as popular more so than it was in the 90s when the book we're critiquing was written. People are still teaching this. They're teaching it on TV. Okay. So what we're doing is giving you categories directly from Scripture, dear ones, that will help you use discernment always. Always read the context. Always think relationally. Do I have a relationship with God as a person and not specifically or anatomically? Well, my heart's doing this and my spirit's doing that. My soul's doing this. And... The, there's a Satan's got this bondage over here. This that's so confusing, it's hopeless. Right. The whole person turns to God, the whole person receives forgiveness, and the whole person is sanctified as we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Introspection and trying to dissect up the inner person will only create sorrow and confusion and hinder your growth in Christ. Amen. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus and Bob DeWitt. We'll see you next week.